Hi, friends. Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network. Our goal for this podcast is to connect with mothers of children facing the juvenile court system. We want to use this platform to give a voice to the challenges you're facing while you're learning to navigate the sometimes scary and uncertain world we enter when our child has been charged with a crime. For the next 30 or so minutes, we hope that you will feel seen and cared for. We hope that you are reminded of your value and that you leave a little stronger than you arrived. We hope you are reminded that you have sisters out here who silently walk beside you in solidarity. Most importantly though, we hope to honor the always beautiful, often heart-wrenching, unyielding love that a mother has for her child. Hi ladies, I'm Angie, and this is episode four in our first series, Into the Unknown, where we've been breaking down the basics of what you can expect in the beginning stages of walking beside your child through the juvenile court system. In episodes one and two, we looked at what to expect in the court system. In episode three, we shifted our focus to discussing thoughts and feelings you may be experiencing as a mama. The whole purpose of this first series has been to try and front load you, with some basic information about what this process looks like so that you can feel more empowered to navigate your family through this journey. When we front load information, we speak to the tension that is either coming or is already present. And by addressing these things ahead of time, we hope that it might just make a difference in the way that you approach situations as they arise. Consider it a heads up from one friend to another. For today's episode, I want to talk about what to expect in your marriage. When we have a child in crisis, it's not uncommon that it affects every aspect of our lives. It creates this buildup of pressure in our relationships. As both parents are trying to manage the situation, do what they believe is best for their child, and simultaneously try to come to some sort of consensus on whose approach to discipline is, quote, right. So today we'll talk about some of the ways having a teen in crisis does affect your marriage. Now, I know that there are many different types of relationships that parents have together. You may consider the person you're with your spouse. They may be your significant other, your life partner, your other half, your better half, your sweetheart, your domestic partner, or your soulmate. But I hope that it's okay, for the sake of simplicity anyway. In this podcast, I'm just going to stick with words like marriage and spouse. We'll also talk about different parenting styles today and a few challenges that blended families face during this journey. But before I get started, I always need to remind you that this podcast represents my own opinions and experiences. While I do like to check in with other moms and get feedback on their experiences, We're not mental health professionals. We're just moms, like you, who walked through this journey with our children and are committed to sharing our struggles because we truly believe that we are stronger together. The content in today's episode should not be taken as marriage counseling, and it shouldn't be used as a diagnosis and or treatment for any mental or emotional health disorders. It's just for information, guys, and because each person is so unique and therapy can be so helpful, I always encourage you to consider the idea of seeking therapy for yourself and your loved ones. 
it can make a big difference in minimizing damage in your relationships and your mental health. So we'll go ahead and get started. But don't forget, at the end of the podcast, I always try to give at least one piece of practical advice on a small, actionable step you can take today. These tips are designed to slowly help you onto a path towards hope, where you feel a little more in control of your life. So be sure to listen all the way through. Now, did you know that studies show that couples argue more about teen children than they do at any other time in their child's developmental years? And having experienced several turbulent teenagers myself, I can certainly attest to this, and my guess is that you probably can too. Maybe it's because when our kids are young, there's a lot of time to have conversations about the milestones up ahead. We slowly tackle subjects like co-sleeping and pacifiers, bedtimes and bottle feedings. We even problem solve how we're going to handle tantrums and timeouts. During these years, we can usually manage to make these decisions jointly. But something happens during the teen years. Don't you agree? You and your spouse are going along and maybe hitting the occasional bump in the road, like a failed subject at school or a missing assignment, maybe a candy bar got stolen from a corner grocery store, but overall, you're feeling pretty good about your parenting skills, when out of nowhere, you're smack dab in the middle of a situation that you've never encountered before, one that involves an immediate judgment call, and you're on your own to make it. See, up until now, you've had a pretty good idea of what was coming down the road, but things can change pretty rapidly once you hit the teen years. It's not really possible to have already considered ahead of time how you will handle discipline together in every possible situation. You may not know what each of you consider disrespectful behavior from your child until the first time you hear it. For one of you, it's an eye roll. For the other, it's bad language. Have you ever sat down and talked with each other about what your thoughts are on what's okay and what's not okay when it comes to dating? or how you're going to handle taking away privileges in any given scenario. You see what I mean? It's not as black and white. There's a whole lot of gray up for interpretation. So just in case you aren't tracking with me, let me give an example of what this looks like. You happen to be the parent who one day gets a call from school that requires you to pick up your child. As a disciplinary action, the school has decided to send them home for the day. You're an emotional roller coaster on the way to get them. But once you get them in the car, you're basically having to shoot from the hip. You haven't been in this situation before as a parent. This is a brand new experience for you, right? This car ride is likely going to end up with you making a decision on the spot about how this situation will be handled. It's not something that you think about having your partner weigh in on. You'll either come up with a consequence and inform them about what it is, Or you'll hear your child's side of the story, you'll empathize with them on the situation, and after a long conversation, decide it's enough to talk about why the behavior was not okay and give them a simple warning not to do it again. After getting home that evening, you sit down with your spouse to talk about the day and what happened. As you relay the details of the story and make your way through all the he said, she saids, you wrap it up by telling them how you handled the situation and realize when you stop talking that they're sitting across from you looking completely dumbfounded by your response. 
It is almost the exact opposite of what they think should have happened. And very quickly, this conversation between you and your spouse begins to escalate into an argument. So what's happening in this situation? First, you were called to address something that happened with your child. Second, your initial reactions were disappointment and maybe even anger. But after you had time to process through some of that information, you made a judgment call on how to best handle the situation. You're not second guessing yourself at this point. It seems like whatever the outcome was, it went well and you felt like you dealt with the issue at hand. Now it comes time to relay that information back to your spouse. For the most part, you're calm, cool, and collected, although maybe still a little irritated and exasperated at your child in the situation. But let's stop and consider what level your spouse is operating at when they receive the information from you. Any guesses? Yeah, they are back at the same levels you were earlier today. As a parent, they also feel called to address the situation, and they also have their own feelings of disappointment or anger about it. They haven't had the time to process through those feelings yet, so it's possible that the anger or disappointment they're feeling ends up being projected onto you and how they believe you should or should not have handled the situation. You're not the intended target, but their irritation is bubbling up and what we end up witnessing is what's known as displaced anger. Displaced anger is actually a coping strategy, although not a healthy one, where people unintentionally take their anger out on someone, usually someone they consider safe, who is uninvolved in the underlying issue or the source of the problem. There's a link to an article I found about displaced anger in the resources tab of our website if you'd like to read more. As always, there'll be a link in the show notes below. One of the many problems with this is that when we hear anger from our spouse or our significant other directed at us, it threatens our sense of emotional security, and it's not uncommon for us to get defensive, frustrated, or even angry ourselves in return. And now we're beginning to see why parents argue more with teen children than during any other time in their child's developmental years. Walking through this journey, there are many challenges that you're going to face as a family. Disagreements is one, and disruption is another. When a child is going through the juvenile courts, we encounter the problem of our once stable family routines being compromised. Court proceedings often mean that at least one parent has to take time off work to make sure that the child can get to the hearing. And this is something that you should probably talk about ahead of time as a couple. How will you handle it? Will you rotate who takes them, or does it make more sense for one parent to go than the other? Maybe you decide it's important for you both to be there as a united front. In the courtrooms, I see it done a hundred different ways. Some kiddos come in with one parent, others with two. Some moms bring their best friend, and some bring an entire entourage of support. The bottom line is to have a conversation with your spouse and to be sure you express your needs. If you need that support from your spouse, it's always good to ask for it up front. Their schedule may not always be able to accommodate it, but it's more important than ever to keep those lines of communication open and to avoid assuming that your partner will somehow anticipate what you need and provide it. Another problem that pops up in our marriages that you want to make sure you avoid 
is the slippery slope of don't tell dad. Whether those words come from your mouth or from your child's, it's a surefire sign that you're headed down the wrong path. Listen, I don't say this in judgment. I say it because I've been on that path more times than I care to recall, and it never took me where I wanted to go. After you've established a consequence and some time has passed, it can be tempting to give in just this one time to a child who's asking for some leeway. They beg and they plead and they look like the sweet little children you once held in your arms and your mama hearts melt in your very chests. And even though you want to do what's best for them, you also want them to be happy. So you cave just this once, never again. And you make sure to say, don't tell dad. Or the more common road that I found myself on was when one of my kids came to me in a moment of desperation to confess something they saw no way of getting out of, I'm sure, and spoke those same words to me. Please don't tell dad. I've experienced this with all of our children. And friends, what I'm about to tell you next may be all the proof needed to assure myself that I am certifiably insane because during those moments, I would convince myself how amazing it was to have children who felt like they could come and talk to me. I mean, it's what I always wanted. How many times had I said to them, just don't lie to me, tell me the truth. And here they were telling me the truth, me, their mother, because they trusted me and loved me And it sounds silly, but it felt amazing. It felt really, really good. It felt like I had reached this higher ground with them that my husband hadn't yet. Like I was finally in. And I mean, I didn't want to destroy their trust. Even though I knew that as a mother, it was more important for me to parent well than it was to be liked by my teenagers, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to be liked. You guys, I was tired of the eye rolls, the heavy sighs, and the whatevers. I was tired of being on the outside where every time you asked how their day was, the answer was, fine. I missed the days when they ran into my arms and hugged my neck and told me I was the best mom ever. And if this little bit of information followed by a don't tell dad got me a little closer to that, well, I was going to take it. But here's what I learned. I wasn't any closer to that. I was a sucker. There's only one reason they didn't care if I knew, but didn't want dad to know. I was soft. As a mom, I was the one who was more likely to come to the rescue. I always have been. I never wanted to stop believing in our child's ability to achieve more, do more. And I always held on to the thought that this time things would be different. And so again and again, I positioned myself under them to be that safe place to fall. No matter how banged up I got, here's what I never stopped to ask myself. How often was I healing the momentary discomfort that came from truly taking ownership of their actions and leaving behind a gaping hole where a lesson would have been learned had I not intervened? What message was I sending to my children about my husband and his love for them by keeping that secret? Was it that his love was not capable of seeing past their mistakes like mine was? 
What value did they miss out on because I was willing to violate my husband's role as their father, imparting his own wisdom and life lessons simply because his were different than mine? I was wrong. And I often wonder how things may have been different in all of our children's lives. If the first time one of my kids said, please don't tell dad, I would have said, I can't promise not to tell your dad because we're a team and we both love you so much. Our number one goal is to make sure that you're safe. So your dad's input on this is important. So whether your child's father is their bio dad or stepdad, don't keep secrets. For more strategies on preventing marital tension while raising teens, you can check out an article from Teen Mag titled, Parenting Teens Causes Stress, Here's How to Prevent It. It's on our resource page of our website, linked in the show notes below. Now there's a quote I saw once that read, the secret to blending families is, there is no secret. It's scary and awesome and ragged and beautiful and always changing. My family is a blended family. We're the classic tale of yours, mine, and ours, and this quote describes the way our family has struggled and developed and evolved more slowly than I would have desired into something beautiful. In our marriage, we have had to learn when to lead and when to follow, how to navigate the relationships with our stepchildren, where they needed more of us and where they needed less. We've had to learn when to give our opinions and when to stand by and support. We've had to learn the dance of keeping the space our biological children hold in our hearts while creating space for our new children. We've had to learn how to be compassionate to each other's needs and the needs of our children as we built a bridge between our families. I read a study that said in 2020, 50% of children in the U.S. were living in blended family homes. While I was really surprised to hear that that number was so high, it also helps me realize that a lot of you out there right now are facing what may feel like an impossible situation. I mean, when you put two bio parents in a situation where their child is facing juvenile court, the stress can be downright overwhelming. But put a blended family in the same situation and the relationship quickly reveals all its weak spots. As your focus and attention shifts to your child and trying to manage what's coming next down the road, the idea that your marriage may not make it through to the other end of this journey feels like a real threat. In blended families, a lot of parents experience tremendous guilt over feeling as if they somehow brought this struggle into the life of their spouse. They feel as if they are personally responsible for the way that their child's actions are affecting their partner and the rest of the family. Parents often struggle trying to figure out what feels right to them while also trying to be respectful of what their partner thinks. Most blended families haven't been together long enough to have these conversations and work these problems out ahead of time. Like bio families, blended families with a child in crisis also become really aware of how different parenting styles can really be. See, when we were growing up, we learned how to communicate. We learned how to interact with people in our family. We also learned how to deal with our emotions and the best way to get our needs met. Right or wrong, these patterns were established in us really early on in our families of origin. Most of our beliefs and our values come from how we ourselves were parented. 
And one of the things you never really stop to consider when you're falling in love with a person is how they were raised. Before having children, we rarely have conversations about how things like communication and discipline were handled in our families of origin. And considering how often we end up selecting partners who are very different from us, it's likely that our family backgrounds were also very different. There are a ton of different parenting styles, and it's likely that you and your spouse are on opposite ends of the spectrum. For instance, some of us grew up with a parent who took an objective approach. They had an end goal in sight for us, and all of their parenting, including our discipline, was lined up to achieve that one end goal. Others took a more emotional approach, where empathy and communication were heavily relied on to achieve the desired result. Some of us grew up in homes that were authoritative. I mean, you did what you were told. The tones parents used in those homes were louder and more demanding, and still others grew up in homes where the parents were much quieter. And they may have used things like nagging or even rejection tactics like the silent treatment when a child wasn't behaving properly. Some of us experienced parenting styles that were motivated by a short-term situational outcome our parents were hoping for. And some of us had little parenting at all either because our parents were absent or because they believed that backing off was the best way to ensure the long-term self-sufficiency of their child. So what does that mean? It means that your spouse has an idea of a right or wrong way to parent that makes complete sense to them the same way that you do. There are definitely benefits to having two different parenting styles in your home, but to get to the benefits, you have to be willing to take a few steps. Number one, you'll both have to take a step back from the assumptions you have about your partner's parenting style and work at removing what you consider to be the wrong and the right way of parenting. You have to be willing to consider that there might be a better way than what you think should be done. Number two, begin to have open conversations about where those ideas and beliefs came from. Talk to your spouse and ask them questions about what life was like in their family of origin. How did your parents handle discipline and what did you think about it when you were a child and what do you think about it now that you're an adult? Would you do anything differently? Sometimes our default doesn't always reveal the healthiest option and it's good to challenge where those beliefs came from. And three, Use both of your experiences to come up with the best possible solution to the problems you're up against as a family. Not your way, not their way, but a better way, a higher way. Remember, whether you're a blended family or a single parent or a bio family, there isn't one right way to navigate these waters. The best you can do is to communicate with the people in your life who you trust enough to walk through this journey with you. Our friends and our family don't always know how to respond in situations like this if they've never experienced it themselves. Sometimes they'll avoid talking about the subject or bringing it up because they don't want to upset you or they're unsure of what to say that might be helpful. While they're trying to be respectful of your feelings and privacy, it can come across to some of us as uncaring. If you need more support from your loved ones, don't be afraid to tell people what you need. But remember, it's not enough to say, I need support. You have to be willing to tell others what support looks like to you. Is support a listening ear? 
or is it advice? Is support just being a safe place to talk through what you're feeling? Or do you want help coming up with solutions? For me, support was talking to someone who wasn't connected to my situation. It was difficult to talk to someone who had their own feelings of grief over what was going on. Close family was usually not the best for me to go to because I would immediately feel like I was somehow responsible to aid in their healing. When creating an outline for this episode, I thought a lot about my marriage and how we walked beside each other through this season. I know that this time in our marriage was difficult for my husband, and while I will be honest and admit that I wish some things had been different, he was pretty amazing. Last night we sat down and had a conversation about it because I wanted to get his perspective on what it was like for him. At the time, I was so consumed with my own grief that I never really stopped to ask about him. Years later, I realized how selfish that sounds, but at the same time, I really battled with depression, and my only focus was on waking up and getting through each day the best I could. When we were talking about it last night, he said that in the beginning, he struggled with a lot of anger and disappointment in our child, and that he definitely had his own ideas on how things should be handled. But he said that he learned early on that he needed to take a step back. My guess is that this moment probably came when I had my meltdown. Check out episode three if you haven't heard that story. But he said he came to the realization that he didn't have control anymore over what the outcome was going to be. That was left to the courts now. But he knew that I needed him. So he shifted his focus instead on learning about the court system and trying his best to prepare me for what was coming up ahead. In short, he focused on front-loading me with as much information as possible. Instead of telling me what he thought we should do, he focused on listening to me because he saw how desperately I needed that. We spent hours and hours sitting on the front porch before bed where we attempted to make sense of everything. There were also definitely times where we both isolated, when we needed to be alone in our thoughts and feelings, when he had nothing to give, and neither did I. He didn't ever go to any court hearings or visitations, and even though I really struggled with that at the time, I knew that he and I both had our limits on what we could handle, and I tried to just respect that. After talking with him, I was reminded about how far we've come. I remembered how we as a family learned to jump over the hurdles life threw at us, but only after falling on our face a few hundred times. I remembered a time when I thought we'd never have a normal Christmas or Thanksgiving as a family again. We have. I remembered worrying I would never feel proud of our child again. I do. I remembered thinking our family wouldn't survive the strain. It did. I remembered learning that faith was confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not yet see. It is. And so it is with that same faith that I can say there is also reason for you, my friend, to have the same hope today for your family. Man, I can't believe it, but we are already near the end of this episode. Wow, this one really flew by fast. But before we go, I want to tell you a little bit about the tip for this week. This week's practical tip is marriage mindset. Does that sound a little too woo-woo for you? Well, stick with me for a minute and hear me out because I really like this tip and I feel like it's made a big difference in my marriage. 
Have you ever been to a kid's basketball game before? I hope you have, because otherwise this metaphor may be lost on you. Dang it, I really hadn't considered that. Okay, well, just in case you haven't, I'm going to describe a scene to you. And if you're a parent who has had a child who plays basketball, you'll know right away what I'm talking about. Okay, so at a child's basketball game, both teams are charged up and ready to go. And even when the local Y tries not to keep the score because hashtag everybody's a winner, it doesn't matter. The kids always know the score and they can get pretty aggressive out there. So picture the scene. The kids are on the court. Parents are yelling and clapping from the chairs and the sidelines. And these kids, they feel like they're playing in the final four. Once the game starts, a kid will get the ball, throw it in. They dribble down the court and they try to get as close as they can to the hoop where they throw the ball up past their defender with the matching wristband and towards the basket. Under the basket in the key is complete mayhem. Every single player from both team is there. Arms are flailing and kids are jumping into each other, just hoping for a chance to get the rebound. More times than not, the ball hits the backboard or the rim and bounces off into this tiny pit of players who are tugging and pushing and boxing out, all of them hoping for one thing, control. If two players happen to lock their hands on the ball, they begin yanking and pulling and trying to get sole control of the ball. Sometimes in all the commotion and struggle, those two players don't realize that they happen to be on the same team. And you'll begin to hear coaches on the sidelines and team members on the bench shout two words onto the court. What are those words? Go ahead. Say them out loud if you know them. Same team. Same team. Parents will be shouting it. Coaches will be shouting it. Everyone from the sidelines. Same team. Same team. Hearing same team brings awareness to the teammates on the court and serves as a reminder that these teammates both share a common goal. Here's the good news. You have a teammate. You're not under the hoop, stuck in all the commotion by yourself. You have someone who's there to remind you that you share a common goal. You don't have to problem solve this on your own. The bad news is you're not the coach. You're a player in this game equal to your teammate. You don't get to call all the plays from the bench and watch this all play out the way you planned it would. You both have a say and what the offensive strategy and the defensive strategy will be. So the next time when you feel the tension beginning to rise in your relationship, remember that visual. Two players, common goal, same team. Okay, friends, well, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing? You know how lonely this journey can be. And when you leave positive reviews and subscribe, it makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. The link will always be in the show notes below, where you can access an ever-growing library of resources, like a list of local and national resources that may be helpful, a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. 
When you visit the page, remember to subscribe so you're added to our monthly newsletter designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. You also receive access to our closed Facebook group community, where we break down this podcast even deeper. Just a reminder, our closed group is a small group of parents just like you that understands what it's like to have a child going through the juvenile justice system. Take advantage of this opportunity to be part of a safe space where families can come together to talk about their struggles, help answer questions, and provide judgment-free encouragement. You can also find our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, where we post five days a week, posts designed to help keep you fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory, and once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Until next week, friends, remember we are stronger together.